If you are a greater Bostonian, you live in one of the most interesting cities in the world, filled with some of the most interesting people. A person of interest could be anyone. The person need not be among the rich and famous, although being rich and famous does not exclude someone from this title. A person of interest is someone, anyone, with an interesting story. In each episode, we will interview a person whose life has had its dramas. It could be you. You are probably an interesting person. You have undoubtedly had a life filled with dramatic moments, both big and small. If you would like us to interview you, please contact us. If not, please listen to your neighbors, friends, and community members that we interview and be inspired by the wonders of their life stories. And now for our episode. Nobody who knows his story would say that Omar Williams has had an easy life. His mother, a Jamaican immigrant, raised him in a tough love tradition that she had experienced herself. But young Omar needed love to balance this discipline. He developed a negative attitude. He lacked trust and pushed away potential friends, teachers, and possible mentors. Having experienced homelessness and failures at school, Omar started to get into trouble, and that trouble led to his spending 19 years in jail. This podcast is about how Omar sunk to the bottom and was able to redeem his life. I don't know if you're really comfortable, but if you could tell us about the incident that basically got you into trouble and you to jail. Uh, yeah, I could, I could talk a little bit about it all. I came to Massachusetts uh, roughly 1993, towards the fall of 1993. I was out here for about about a year and was living in various places. I wasn't stable, so what that basically means is that I was staying with friends here and there. Um, we, we were doing a bunch of stuff that was illegal that you know we weren't supposed to do, and and you know when you have that type of situation with a lot of people involved um, things just don't work out the way it's supposed to work out and so you know there was you know there was an argument that happened one day and and words were exchanged and next thing you know there was a fight and and um guns guns were involved and and i ended up shooting a guy and so i went to i went to prison for that for quite a long time before you got into legal trouble where did you see your life going what aspirations did you have I wanted to be an actor. I, I, I grew up, I grew up in New York. I grew up in in Brooklyn. My mom, she worked in a hospital for much of me growing up, and uh, she did a lot of community stuff as well. My life, I saw in uh, heading towards down the road of entertainment, and I did a lot of plays for church. Uh, my mother kept me in church. I was active in church, a lot of youth groups in church, and one of the youth groups in church was was an, was an acting guild, and so. We did a lot of plays there, and so that's kind of where I thought I was going to end up. Can you tell us what what brought you, or what led you to Massachusetts? In 1992, I went to Job Corps. I was I was uh, sent there um, by the courts to go to Job Corps. I'd signed up. I had dropped out of high school and was just doing whatever I wanted. And my mother was like, "Well, sign up for Job Corps," which I did. And I found myself in trouble, and uh, the judge decided to give me a chance. He sent me to Job Corps. Under the, under the uh, uh, guys that I go to Job Corps, do seven months there successfully, get my record sealed uh, as a juvenile, 
And uh, that was what was supposed to happen. That did not happen. A lot of it had to do with my resentment to authority. I didn't last long in Job Corps. I lasted about the seven-month mark and came home in 93. And uh, 93 is when I came to Massachusetts. Buddy and mom was out here that uh, he and I, we grew up together. He came out here first while I was in Job Corps. He came out here to stay with his brother and his brother's baby mom at the time. And when I came home from Job Corps, he was telling me how nice it was in Massachusetts and I should try it out. So, so instead of being out here and going to school, you, you came out here hanging out with your friends. And what were you and your friends doing? Same thing we were doing back in New York. We were we were in the streets. We were partying, mm. you know, smoking, drinking. You know, I mean, uh, I gotta say, I grew up like any other teenager, probably mm-hmm. um, in that era, in the nineties. Right. In the nineties, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, um, it, it 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 was it was definitely easy to get mm-hmm. involved in that stuff, just because mm-hmm. if your friends was involved with it, then you were involved with it, right. and and it was easier to do that than to say no, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And, and then you transitioned to selling drugs? Yeah, at some point, um, uh, when you're a teenager, you realize everything costs money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, you know, when, you, when you're smoking and you're partying and your friends are driving cars, you want to drive cars too, you want to, you know, you want to you spend money too. And mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's what kind of led to that, yeah, definitely. And it was, it was easier. It's e- the thing about selling drugs is it's easy. You know, uh, the hard part is when you get caught, you go to prison. Was that what led to you getting into legal trouble? It was part of the reason. Yeah. Uh, when the when that aspect of life is presented to a young kid, they don't realize a lot of the the pitfalls that come with it. The um the the dishonesty. That's tough. <laughs> you know, it's tough because you're gonna find yourself involved in something that you don't want to be involved in. You know, people will will try to rob you, people will try to hurt you. I didn't understand that I could have chosen to walk away, communicate the positive way, to take myself out of a situation that would have helped me probably live a productive life. So looking back on the incident that got you into trouble, do you think your experience, I'll say around the justice system in terms of your trial and your sentence were fair? So I didn't walk into a guy's home. It was a shared apartment whose his name happened to be on the lease. We were all selling drugs out of that apartment, and it just so happened that his name was on the lease, and so the Commonwealth was able to charge me with armed home invasion. So had I had probably shot him in the parking lot, then Mm -hmm. they would have probably only been able to charge me with uh, assault and battery with a dangerous weapon or attempted murder. Mm -hmm. Is, is, is 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 our justice system fair? That's a double-edged sword. It can be and it can't be. I wanted to cop out to, you know, a 10 to 12, which would have got me out of 30, and I would have still had some good years ahead of me to make something, you know, of my life and get a career and move forward. Um, it didn't happen like that. I listened to my lawyer at the time, and and, and, and um, I got found guilty because he led me to believe that I could plead self-defense. That's something a harmed home invader cannot do. That's not within the realm of a defense. So is our justice system fair? It can be. Not all the time, it can be, but, but not all the time. It seems like your lawyer didn't know the law. I think while I was sitting in prison, I kind of came to that conclusion. He definitely is a professional, but I think when he came to this particular charge, it was his first time actually defending a charge like this. And when I read some of the things that he was asking for, it was for a lesser included offense. So how, how, I have to ask, is how young were you when this happened? 
So I was 21 when I got sentenced. I, I was on the run for a year. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of hiding around and that got old really quick. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, at that some point I was like, it's time to just turn myself in and let's get this over with. Did you turn yourself in? Is that how you got caught? Subconsciously, I probably turned myself in. Um, I got caught on another charge and I was going to court under the alias and the police mm-hmm. officer was like, no, no, that's not you, this is you, so. What happened to the person that you shot? Uh, he survived. Yeah. I was sentenced said? to 20 to 21 years was the original sentence. It mm-hmm. took me about 18 years to break it down to 19 okay. after good time and stuff. But first 10 years while in prison was not the best. I wasn't, you know, I was, like I said, very resentful of authority, very resentful of being where I was at. And I was showing out, but I think I think after I hit 30, 31, about there, it, it, it got old. <laughs> and I needed to make some life altering decisions. So, so so where were you where were you where did you serve your time and what were the conditions that you encountered when you first got there? Prison is is every horrible thing that you can think of. Prison is 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 it degrades you, it takes away your identity, it takes away who you are as a person. It brings you down to the lowest point of your life and how you deal with that and how you come out of that is important. So, you know, my first my first stop was Concord. And let me just tell you, if you're not accustomed to conditions of like living with someone else and going to the bathroom with someone else watching you, then, you know, it, it, it's tough. Or being told when you can go eat and how long you have to eat and when you have to be back in the unit. These are the things that prison is designed to do. I mean, should there be rehabilitation and reform? Yes. And should there be some form of punishment? Yes. But the way it's designed is designed to break down the character of an individual as wow. opposed to the programs that actually focus on what you can do to help yourself, you know, out of situations you're in to you know positively come out of certain you know situations to Mm -hmm. use your coping skills to use your to use your communication skills in certain situations because every situation in life is going to be stressful Mm -hmm. every situation every person you come into contact with every communication you have it's going to be stressful prison doesn't teach you to 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 deal with that prison teaches you to be confrontational um at some point it, it does because you have the correctional officers mm-hmm. that's confrontational because it's their law or it's nothing. You know, um, you have you feel you have your basic rights as a, as, a, as an inmate. Mm-hmm. And so you try to stand up for that. But they take away from that because they feel that you shouldn't. Ha- you, sh- you no longer have the right to stand up for yourself. That's taken away from you. You've lost that ability. So, I mean, it doesn't teach the appropriate coping skills that a man needs for when he walks out of prison. You uh, You have to find that yourself. You have to find that. Make those make those connections in prison with people mm-hmm. that are actually on that same road, and you have to find that yourself, right. and 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 embrace that and say this is what I want, not this, you know. So that's what I did, you know. For the first ten years, I was against the CO and against the you know institution. But then I think, like I said, after I turned thirty one, after ten or eleven years in prison, and then realized I had ten more years to go, I was like, you know what, I need to find a means to you know an end. And, learn how to communicate, learn how to find the right way to use my words and, mm-hmm. and help myself. So, yeah, that's, that's, but. So once you made that transition, sort of, how, how do you feel that 
change the way that you serve? Yeah, I'll say the rest of your sentence. The first thing I did was I started holding myself accountable for when I was wrong. That's the biggest step. When you're wrong about something, the biggest thing that someone can do is be like, I was wrong. That was one of the biggest things because another thing that you learn to do in prison is reflect. And if you didn't did that, then I wouldn't have done that. So you start reflecting and you start coming up with reasons as to why certain things happen a certain way. So prison taught me how to own what my wrong is accepted and what I could do differently to make it better and how I can make a situation better the next time and mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. find myself in that situation the next time, you know. Being familiar with, you know, empathy of a person. Pay attention to what they're saying as opposed to jumping to a conclusion as to what they mean, which is easy to do. It's very easy to do, and I still Mm -hmm. do it. Once it becomes habit forming, it's so easy to fall back into it that it takes you a moment to be, wait a minute, what was actually happening here? You know, understanding that responsibility is key. If I have a responsibility for something, then I have to do that. And if it doesn't get done, then Mm -hmm. I'm the person that's held accountable. What you're talking about, actually, is maturity that every person in society needs, not just prisoners. And what I wonder is, how did this come to you, that you suddenly became well-balanced and understanding? Prison, prison does, they, they, they do have programs. They have, like, anger management programs and violence reduction programs and NA and AA. And they have all these programs, but they also have weight room. They have basketball, they have softball, you have football, you have, you know, a day room, you have your TV, you have your radio. And I think at some point, at some point, you're like, I'm not going to spend my days in these programs because sometimes the programs are more book, you know, um, it's not really geared to the actual stuff that's happening in society. And a lot of the people that's teaching it has never been through it. You have to see past that. You have to actually read the stuff and see what the words are saying. So when you start reading, if you take away what the facilitator is trying to tell you and actually read and pay attention to what's happening and understand the words that's in front of you, you can actually apply it to your life. So at some point, I was like, well, I have to get involved in violence reduction program. That's what I did. I got involved in the violence reduction program. And in reading violence reduction program, they, they would, they would, that was one of the biggest things they were always talking about Owning the times when you're wrong, understanding that you are going to be wrong. You're not always right. No one's ever always 100% right. So that's number one. Um, And if you find yourself where you're getting angry in certain situations, recognize those triggers. Mm -hmm. Is that a trigger for me? Why is that a trigger for me? Why does that upset me so much? Getting down to the basic rule of it, the grass root of it. Because if you're paying attention to communication and you know Mm -hmm. someone is saying something that's going to upset you, you have to be ready to be to combat that in a positive way. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with what was being said or right. the format in which it was said, but I also have to be respectful of that person's views or whatever it is. So, I mean, also taking yourself out of situations that will have you involved in those situations where you're using violence and you're using negativity. Like, And one of the things they tell you is, if you know that you're going to do violent things when you're hanging out in the street, stop hanging out on the street corner. Because, like I said, prison is not designed to actually, you know, help you be successful. They do try, but it's not designed that way at all. Because you come out with so many... When you come out of prison, there's so many things that you're not accustomed to. You know, talking to people, what people's Mm -hmm. expressions mean. Why did that person do that? But, I will say this. If you've been in prison for any amount of time, any any amount of time, you never want to go back. 
you never want to go back. And if you come out with that aspect of mind, you're always going to do right. I don't want to go back to that. I was at my lowest point. I don't want to be at my lowest point. I'm not that kind of person. I went through all of that. This is where I am in life. And so this is where I'm going. What was the worst aspect of prison? The locking in, being away from your family. When you have the, the food, too, as well, probably the living conditions. It was every aspect. Uh, you can, there's no one aspect of prison that's the worst. The, it's all combined. It's mm-hmm. the worst aspect. I mean, it, it's, it was, it's your freedom taken away. And anything that's in it is personified. Anything that they tell you to do, it personifies that. Your freedom is taken away. It, it, it accentuates that. You know you're in prison. You know it. You feel it every day. So there isn't one aspect that would be considered the worst. When I have to go, when I had to go back to myself, I had a cellmate. I didn't want a cellmate, but I had a cellmate. I had to go in and lock in with this guy for eight hours. I don't want to do that. This guy is not who I want to, you know, he's not, because, you know, in some, in some institutions they have, you know, same race and in other institutions, it's not the same race. It's just, you know, age group or whatever. And sometimes if it is same race, you get into a cell with someone who's just ignorant. You know, or don't take showers or don't clean or, mm. you know, and then you have a toilet in the cell and that's always messy. And then, you, you know, every aspect of prison is designed to allow you to know that you are no longer in society. You are no longer free. You are in jail. Every aspect of it. So it's a combination of things that I can say is worse. <laughs> you know, it like just comes out as being a worse aspect. Every, every Every combination of everything that you could think of is from the food to the shower conditions to the the living conditions to who you interact with. This every aspect is just bad. Did you find a good aspect? Any good aspects of being in prison? I got involved in the dog program. That was a good aspect, and uh, from that, I work in the dog field now. I, I think when they brought that program in, the needs program, that was that was a good. A good program. I put myself into that, and it took me out of what was going on inside the institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also a way of me saying, "Okay, you, you weren't just training dogs; you were training assistant dogs. They were supposed to have veterans, people that are sick, people that needed them, and and that meant you were giving back. Mm-hmm. That meant you was doing something that meant something because they had these jobs. They have these odd jobs in prison: um, the cleaning job, the." Uh, uh, the detail jobs, the, the culinary jobs, the haircutting jobs, that, those are all fine. You know, um, you can give back to the community when you get out. The dog program, you was giving back to the community while you were still in. So that was giving back while I was still incarcerated, and that helped me a lot. So what, what is the dog training program? I'm a dog program that trains assistant dogs to help people that need assistance with dogs, help walking, seeing eye dogs, hearing dogs, veterans who comes back with no limbs. So they... they you, you, they give you a dog at eight weeks old, mm-hmm. and you train the dog. It's all, all cues that it needs to help people, and you're responsible for that dog. You're responsible for taking care of that dog, making sure it's fed, mm-hmm. making sure it gets mental exercise, physical exercise, as well as keeping up the cues that it needs to go to the person that it's going to be helping. So how long did you participate in the NEEDS program? I was in that program for roughly a year and some change, and then I left that program, and I ended up going to the minimum, and mm-hmm. they had a dog program there for um, rescue dogs. Because these dogs, they came to the prison with with issues. They they had people issues or they had dog aggression issues. So oh, okay. they would have gotten put down if we didn't have this program in the prison as well. So 
those were my last couple years in prison and just doing that. And that, I got to say that was probably the most positive aspect was probably the last few years mm -hmm. uh, of being in prison. How many hours a day did you do this? And did, did they take the dogs away at night? The dogs were with us. The dogs were there all time. the time. Uh, in the needs program, the dogs went away with a weekend person. Um, but for the most part, they were with us all day, every day. We were responsible for that dog, brushing the dog's teeth, clipping its nails, bathing it, walking it, training it, exercising it, feeding it. That's that's what we had to do. So he started making me realize that when you have responsibilities, you kind of have to see to it, you know. Um, because it was a time when I would go do my detail and then be like, I'm going to the yard to go play ball. Or I'm going to the weight gym. Or I'm just going to sleep. That's a big portion of prison life, too, like. You wake up in the morning, you go do your job, and you come back and you just go to sleep for like four hours. And then you wake up and they count you and then you go eat and you go to the yard for another couple hours. And you come. So being in the dog program, you didn't have that luxury anymore. It was go do your detail, take care of your dog, walk your dog, make sure your dog's okay. That program, I got to say, helps a lot of guys that get involved in it. It does because you're, you're responsible for another living thing. Mm -hmm. And you have to make sure that living thing is going to be okay. And it really does reconnect you back to the human side of yourself. You know? So did the dogs sleep in the cells at night? Too? Yeah, they slept in the cells. We had, we had crates in the cells. And some dogs, <laughs> they say the dogs weren't supposed to sleep in the beds with us. Some guys just disregarded that. I do have friends that's in the joint. When I first went into the joint, it was like, oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so in the yard? And you're like, oh, and you find yourself just enthralled in all of that prison talk. you know. Mm -hmm. and, and that's when you know you find out, like, who's doing what, you know, what the COs are doing, what unit they're watching. But when you're in the dog program, you don't even hear that. You know, you're like, oh, wait, what happened? I didn't, oh, I didn't even, because you're too involved in what you're doing because that's your responsibility. And that's what you have to do. You know, get back in touch with that human side of themselves. So one of the things you, you talked about earlier was how your work in um, the prison transitioned to what you do now. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, right now I work in a pet care industry. I work at, at, at a dog daycare, Dogwood Cottage. Working in the pet care industry, I was able to say, okay, this is different than just training a dog. This mm -hmm. is actually helping dogs feel comfortable inside of a situation that they don't know why they're there. This is what I mean. Did you take dog all those dog courses in jail, or did you take them after jail? Or did, how many did they offer when you were um, in jail? So in jail, they have a trainer that comes in, and the trainer comes in, and they give you whatever coursework that they have to give you, a lot of reading, a lot of reading, and just a lot of trial and error. When I say trial and error, I mean just like, okay, that didn't work. What's the other options I have? You know, not, not just like experimenting. It's, you know, if it didn't work, what did I do wrong? And so the other courses I took was when I got out. Online courses, a lot of mentors, training mentors that knew that um, I probably would do well in this field of work. They also stood behind me and helped me do other courses and guide me in the direction that I needed to go into to be successful. Mm -hmm. And just dealing with dogs in, 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 in an everyday aspect of life. So you had a job. You actually had a job before you got out of jail, right? Yes. Yeah, so you were working in the jail, in the job, and then going back to going jail back in, the to evening. in the evening. Yeah. So the Boston pre-release. Uh, so the, the way prison is supposed to work, you go into prison, depending on your numbers, if you have double digits like I did, you go behind the wall, medium or maximum security, and then you mm -hmm. work your way down. 
So working your way down is going from maximum to medium to minimum to pre-release. And that's what I ended up doing with the last 10 years is I went to a medium to a minimum, then I went to pre-release. And in the pre-release, you have to find your own job. That means calling people and talking to them on the mm-hmm. phone, using a phone book. It's not, you know, when I, when, when I went to prison, the cell phones were Motorola's and you had to charge your battery and you had like five bars. and Those things went. You weren't texting. Mm-hmm. Um, they had pagers that people could send you messages on, but mm-hmm. you would have to call them back on a landline. You weren't calling, you know, or if you had a, right. the Motorola cell phone, right. So the technology came so far, and so when I went to the pre-release, I was like, well, I had to learn how to use a computer. I had to, you know, understand what a cell phone was. I had to understand PDFs and, and you know, every everything that comes with technology, I had mm-hmm. to learn, and I'm still learning. But at the pre-release, you, 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 you got yourself a phone book, and you went through the through the company, and a lot of guys that go to pre-release to get jobs in restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to work in the dog field, so I started looking in dog boarding, you know, mm-hmm. dog grooming, and I kept going. I was at the pre-release from August of 2013 all the way to December of 2013 before I actually got the job that I had before I got out. So I was resilient. I was not taking a restaurant job. Mm-hmm. I was not going to work in Kentucky Fried Chicken or McDonald's. I knew what I wanted, and mm-hmm. I stayed to my guns. Not this is a bad choice of words, but I stuck to what it was that uh, mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to do. And so I ended up getting a job, and it was a good job, a very mm-hmm. good job. So, and I'm, I'm glad that I did find that job. So, yeah. So, how are you doing today? Today, you know, every day is a struggle. Um, <laughs> Uh, you struggle with every day. You struggle up just getting up, knowing that you have to get up and go to work. Because if you don't go to work, you can't get bills paid. And if you can't get bills paid, then you're just living off of something. I don't know what. But today, nowadays, I still struggle. I still have my own personal issues that I deal with. You know, when I'm alone in my apartment, I, I try to deal with those, and I try not to bring them out, you know, to other people. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I don't. I'm not like suicidal or anything, but. You know, I have my own things that I deal with. I think that interactions in which I deal with people on an everyday basis is not always to its best. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I try to figure out how I could make it better. And if I can't make it better, I still, if I'm still doing something wrong, I'm like, try to figure out what am I doing wrong. Mm-hmm. I believe, you know, you're not going to get along with everybody, but you have to coexist with some people. And even if that's just a hey and bye relationship, I get it. There was a point in time where I was like, I got to get along with everyone. You know, like, I got I to gotta see what I did wrong to that person. What happened? What did I do? Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I'm just like, nah, no, it's not It's not worth that energy. But I do have to be positive. Like, how am I doing today? I'm still learning. Uh, every, day is, every day is something new learned. I'm still mm-hmm. learning. And I still mess up. And I still make flubs. And, you know, I own those. My fault. You know, if I'm wrong, my fault. I was wrong, you know. So wh- where do you find your support now? <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of friends. I mean, I just recently started talking to my mom again. Me and my mom hadn't spoke for about a year. So we just mm-hmm. recently started talking. Um, so your mother is still alive and she she's lives still in alive. She Brooklyn? She's still alive. She lives in New York. She lives in Brooklyn, New okay. York. Um, so that's been a sense of support to you. It's been a sense. My, my mom my mom, my, my mom is, is still strict. Even at my age of 43, she still feels like, mm-hmm. I, I think, since, since I'm like 14 or 10. Because I, I am still very resentful of authority. And it's not because I hate authority. It's just because of what it means to me. It's it's something that it, it still makes me like 
like I'll clench my teeth if I feel like I'm forced to do something that I don't want to do or if someone's making it so that it has to happen or if it just feels too much like mm. authority for me I'm just like mm, I know how I feel about that it's only been five years since I've been out okay. so I mean people could say oh you've been out five years you should be able to adjust it's when you've been dealing with something for 19 years you just don't adjust right. in five years no. it's not that's not how easy it comes so I still find myself adjusting to that. I still get nervous when I see police officers. And I have no reason to be nervous. But I still see police riding by and I'm like... Hey, you, know, you have a reason. Any black male in America has, has a, a reason. reason. Okay. <laughs> I, still, I still find myself... I Obama say, has been picked up, has been messed up, you yeah. know, or driving or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And so don't think that you're alone. I think this has been a terrific interview, oh, and I want to thank you so much for participating in it and for very being so honest with us. And I thank you very much. Oh, I appreciate you guys. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank you, Omar. Yeah. It's been a really a pleasure right. and, and I guess an honor speaking with you and learning more about you. No, no, thank you. I appreciate you guys giving me the time to talk about me. You have been listening to Serendipity's Person of Interest, produced and directed by Tonette Terhar and Barbara John. If you have an interesting story and would like to participate in this podcast or have any helpful suggestions, email us at barbarajmassed at gmail.com. B-A-R-B-A-R-A-J dot M-A-S-S-E-D at gmail.com. We would very much like to thank our guests and the staff at New TV, who are always more than helpful. So until our next episode, we will say goodbye. Thank you for listening. <laughs>